This clandestinely distributed podcast program involves indiscreet communications of a most sensitive nature. Execute extreme caution if listening in an unsecured location. bonding agents, especially because there's so many James Bond podcasts out there, is I didn't want to just do James Bond. And we've, of course, recorded on a bunch of James Bond movies over time. So I've actually got a little bit of a backlog that I still haven't put out there. And uh, in particular, I was trying to hold off on putting anything for the 006 episode, because obviously 007, we would have to cover James Bond. I'd feel like it was a criminal act if we didn't cover James Bond, right? But then some stuff happened. Do you want to talk about any of your health stuff? My health stuff? Yeah. Why? Because at one point, not unlike James Bond, we thought you were going to be gone, and then you weren't gone. And so that's one of the reasons why we haven't recorded a lot of these because we didn't know if you were going to be around. Look, okay, I'm doing fine. Y'all took it a lot harder than me because, you know, that's one of the things when you have these health issues, people don't prepare for them. You see it when, you know, I've had enough stuff in my life where I was in hospitals or something and you see the people who prepare or halfway prepare or don't prepare at all. Now, in my case, I was prepared. The fact is from, you know, they tell you uh, a lot of people don't realize, but in these transplants they they tell you that you're looking at maybe 14 days and they don't say maybe they say minimum of 14 days in the hospital Mm -hmm. well i was six days okay and i wasn't taking pain medications on the seventh day now i know not everybody can do that but pain medications slow you up now you know that and i think i've said in podcasts i've been building and racing things as a hobby since i was a teenager i gave up motorcycles when i I was years old because I could already see that I was slowing down. I was starting to have too many close calls, too many accidents. And coming up on the anniversary of that, I spent all of December in Bentile Hospital after a drag racing event. It wasn't, it was a drag racer that I had built that was a three-wheel. But I wasn't on the track at the time it happened. But some kids messed with my vehicle and I had a little malfunction and uh, it really messed me up. So when that was a horrific experience for people who don't know about Ben Cobb, it, it, it was a trauma center, but it's also where everybody didn't have insurance went. A rough place to be. If you wanted a TV, it was one of them little nine or ten inch things that they used to have, and they attached it to your bed and it cost you like two dollars or four dollars a day or whatever. And everybody thought I was the king of the war because it was a war. Uh-huh. You know, because I had a TV. <laughs> I didn't want to go through that crap with this transplant. So I prepared myself before I went, and I tried my best. As soon as they brought me out of the coma and told me they wanted me to do some walking, I was doing lap, which upset them because everywhere I went, they had to go to <laughs> And I kept it up. But not everybody does that. They only go and do their laps or whatever when a nurse makes them do it. I was pushing it to where every time they saw me at nurse's station they wanted to call the guard to drag me back in so i was out in six days all right but it's just like guns we've we've talked about that i started reading ballistic charts when i think i was like nine or ten years old and i built my own gun hopefully this weekend you and i are going to go shoot that toy new toy i finished at the ring and the stuff i build in fact people joke yesterday at thanksgiving i don't build anything that holds less than 50 or 100 
around. <laughs> Which isn't exactly true, but it's close enough. Right. But I really don't know what that has to do with Bond, except for the fact that with all of these action guys, I'm one of these people, I don't bitch about it, I find humor in it. I know that a human being cannot suffer that and get away with it. Uh, I've been shot. I'm a veteran, I've been shot. You don't get up, even when it's a flesh wound, a lot of times, you know, they talk about these, well, oh, it's just a scratch, it's a flesh wound, or it didn't hit bone. Mm -hmm. When a bullet hits you, it's a traumatic event. It does damage that you wouldn't believe. You get nicked in the arm or in the shoulder, you're going to feel it in your toe. <laughs> that, you know, nerve endings don't do what they're supposed to do. So a lot of this crap you see in the movies or reading books, it ain't true. It ain't going to happen. I, and I don't care how well somebody is trained. I, I was trained. I wasn't any special forces or anything, but I know enough that you see a guy get hit. That nowadays you can see it on the street. You walk out your front door, some guy gets hit in the leg. Where'd that come from? I don't know, but I think it was an AK. <laughs> you know? uh, your cousin shot him. The fool. He shot himself in the leg with a 45. Oh, he had called me before he bought that dead gum gun, and I told him, I said, "Look, you buy a single action. I wouldn't use a single action as carry weapon. I was kind of, I'm, I'm kind of a 45 aficionado. I gave one of the kids. I've given most of my 45 stuff away to y'all. I gave that rifle to you, which you turned around and gave to somebody else. Well, I, I, it, it wasn't technically given. He was. I was living with a roommate. I didn't want to have a, 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 a weapon around a roommate that I wouldn't even be able to control whether or not they had access to it if I wasn't there because I didn't have any kind of safe or anything. And so I gave it to a friend of mine who's had it under his bed for 15 years now or whatever. But uh, but no, it's not really given because nobody's touched the thing in those that, in that time period. I don't even know where the key is to get the lock open. So well, it wouldn't be a big deal. But it, it it's a by the way, it's a collector's item. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. But for anybody that don't know, the gun is a Marlin Camp Mine, and it was the top one, the top tier one. It's got a beautiful wood stock on it. I had converted it to a bullpup machine gun, and then converted it back to a hunting weapon for you. But then again, a lot of people think you need all these big calibers to hunt with. Now the truth is, if, if you had a 32, you could pretty much kill anything in Texas with a 32. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't take a big gun to go hunting with. The fact that I use a 4570 on a 35 pound deer is beside the point. <laughs> it just happens to be my favorite gun. Uh, but uh, not everybody can do that mm -hmm. because you hit something that size with a 4570, it can tear up your meat. It's like going up to a squirrel with a 12 gauge and, and shooting him point blank. You know, ain't gonna be much left. Right. But I'm a surgeon with that gun and I don't tear up any meat doing it. I just like to drop my kills. I don't want to go chasing after something. I think that's ridiculous. Uh, that's why I very seldom, that's the other thing, you know, people, I, I, I've had buddies in the past, they always try to take these long, long shots and they take great pride in it. Even when they have trapes half a mile trying to find their kill. My last five deer, no, last four deer, were taken in about 50 feet. And the one before that was about 97 yards with a gun capable 
capable of taking one out at 600 yards. That's really close range, but it's stupid to take a long range shot in Texas unless you're hunting West Texas and you don't have any choice. But I personally would not try to shoot anything over 100 yards except paper. Mm. I do. I have some bench guns that you just look the wrong way at and they'll go off. But I built those those guns just for shooting paper at long range. I'm not going to practice that crap on a living creature. Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking is if, you, if you're going to hunt, ideally you want to kill instantly the animals so they're not suffering. And believe me, everyone, they're dead before they hit the ground. Exactly. So uh, that's if, if you're going to hunt, that's the kindest way to do it. So I, I'm 100% back you on that. But with the hell stuff, you've been defying death since the 90s. And before your transplant, you had a cancer issue as well. well so at that point, at, at that point we thought you had, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but you, you, you had like six months to live at that point. So <laughs> you've always had that over you, but that, for, that, for the, the cancer last, was, was something we really thought about. Look, 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 okay, let's get let's get it straight. Mm-hmm. In the 90s, they discovered I had I had had since the 70s when I was in the service. Nobody knew it. Mm-hmm. It just so happened, you know, I was getting middle aged, so the doctor was checking things that I never had to have checked before, and he discovered. And it's in my military record, mm-hmm. you know. But back then, they didn't know. They just said. Because I cleaned up my act younger than a lot of guys do. Quit drinking in my 30s, and I don't didn't miss it. I went, you know, like I smoke cigars now, but it's not like I'm puffing on them all the time. And you know, I went what 18 years. I quit smoking cigarettes and went 18 years without smoking anything except maybe a cigar on Thanksgiving and Christmas. Mm-hmm. I've led a pretty clean life. I just gave up the party when I was younger than a lot of guys do. Mm-hmm. And that plus the fact that when they they discovered that when they discovered it, it, it was bad. You know, they they basically gave me six months to three years, and it, it stayed that way all all the way until current time, more or less. But I was able to get uh, you're, a lot of. I was a lab rat. Yeah, you, you, you were a guinea pig. They tried all kinds of shit on you, the, made you sicker than a dog for long periods of time, and then finally they managed to find a cure. In right. part because of all the shit they were throwing at you, right. they finally figured out. And what I was a guinea pig for that too. Yeah. But if I hadn't been a guinea pig I probably wouldn't have made it so you get used to it you learn to deal with crap when you're taking medications when you get really sick there comes a point to where they like I had almost no red or white blood cells either one and I was having to do these injections and both of these injections were mostly used for cancer patients and this is before I had cancer and and, and the first listing you know you always check those side effects just so you're prepared yeah the first side effect of both of those injections was death. <laughs> now, if you... And I, just let love with it, huh? Yeah, and, and I'm at home on my own giving myself these injections. Mm-hmm. And, and and of course, you know, when it's a, if it's a pill or something, you might think, well, yeah, I'll have time to get to the phone. Maybe they'll save my life. But if you're giving yourself injections, you know if the, if it's, if you catch that, that bad side effect, there's nothing they're going to do to you when you've been injected. It's, right. you're, it's over. Right. So 
But I guess what the point you've been trying to make is, is you learn to live with death. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the truth is, when I was in the service, I was in Vietnam. I did. I was 17, 18 years old. I was just a kid. And I was too dumb to be scared. Okay. So when when crap happened, I was there and it was happening. And you you can't help when, when, there, when you're in a rocket attack or something. You can't help but be scared because it's, uh, but it's a different kind of fear than, than mortal fear. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're in an earthquake or something. It's like if you took a balloon during one of those big fireworks displays or something. Anybody that's been to a big fireworks plant knows that when they, they fire those mortars in there, the big ones, you can feel it. It goes all the way through your body. Mm-hmm. Imagine being next to it. <laughs> it's not it's not 500 feet in the sky or 300 feet in the sky. It's right next to you. <laughs> you know? Your, your brain gets rattled when that happens. You talk about football or something like that where you can get brain injury. Something like that goes off next to you. It, you can feel it in your throat. You can feel it go through. It, it's like those jokes, you know? It goes in one ear and comes out the other and your brain's earthquaking in your skull. It's a, it's a whole different thing. But I was young. Not only that, like I said, you know, I still, right now, you know, I, I still drive a Roadster Hot Rod. And I drive it fast everywhere I go. Just in case somebody in this area is listening and I don't want to hear it, I'm not going to describe where it is, but we've got a particular road here that everybody thinks is the Autobahn. The average average speed on it is 85.90. Okay, so... Well, that's I, any freeway in town. So huh? that's, that, that's any freeway in town. Anyway. Yeah, but you can't... You, you're taking a chance. Yeah. That, that's a whole different situation. This is a place that where you... If you know where the cops are... Yeah. Or you're, you're talking like highway, basically. It's it's a highway. Yeah. And so you get... And, it, and it's mostly straight on top of it. Mm-hmm. Plus, there's a lot of construction along it, so the cops can't hide them. Yeah. And, and almost since the day that thing's been built, we, we've called it the Autobahn. Mm-hmm. And I drive it all the time. You know? <clears throat> and my average speed is about 135. Mm-hmm. You know? I can go faster than that, but my car gets kind of scary. It'll do 168. But if you get to 150, you got you got something between your legs, partner. <laughs> you know? Uh, because it starts floating. Uh-huh. Uh, I've only had it at 168 a couple of times. And my arms were locked on the steering wheel, and I'm going straight line. I don't want to even change lanes at that right. speed. Because it feels like you're floating. And yeah. you are. Yeah. You know, the tires are barely on the ground. It's not a matter of gut. War and racing are two different things, but it does take, you know, nowadays, I'm not stupid. You know, I started that crap when I was young, but I was young in the war. You're stupid. And and I was particularly naive and stupid. You know, I was I, I was raised a middle-class white boy. Grew up, all my heroes were were, were uh, World War II vets. That's, that was my hero. I might have read comic book, but if I was going to compare one to the other, the GI was going to get my boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's who I saw. Was it. And, and you know, I went in and when things were really heated up over the Vietnam War. And I joined. I mean, they, in fact, I got drafted when I was in. It was, I, was in <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was in Vietnam when I got my draft notice. <laughs> well, you weren't supposed to be in Vietnam when you were in Vietnam. That's part of the problem, I'm sure. Because you were underage when, when you enlisted, right? No, but it was legal. Okay. My mother signed. So it, it was legal. It wasn't, it wasn't 
wasn't like my, my father or his father. You know, they actually did go in at 15 or whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, my grandfather made a career out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was probably thinking in my head, I can't swear to it, but I was probably thinking in my head of making a career at Tuck. Uh, but uh, also, uh, you know, uh, for what I did, it had been real hard uh, to be married and everything. As you know, I'm a marrying kind. Mm-hmm. So uh, being married in the service is, is not an easy thing to do under the best of circumstances. Yeah. So uh, that's that's the reason. I was in love when I got out. I met a way right before I got out. And we were engaged, and she was from Texas, too. But she still had two years on her enlistment. Mm-hmm. So she went off to Spain right after I got out, and we came home. She came home on leave, so she'd come with me. Yeah. But then she had to go to Spain, and she went over there, and it was the end of the relationship, right. basically. You know, you did whatever the actually We were in gay. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, did you guys ever formally bust up, or was it just one of those things where, you know, don't keep up with each other? She didn't come home for almost two years, and I'm not sure she didn't tell me whether she was being transferred. My guess was she was being transferred back. She was from Alice, Texas, and there was a naval air station there, yeah. and I think she was had gotten herself transferred there, having fulfilled her duty. I think it was because she had to take care of her family. You know, she was basically the only one in her family working, but she didn't say that, but that that was my guess, but and I met her in the airport, but basically overriding each other, she pretty much let me know that she didn't think the marriage would work. Okay. So I told her, so you got to dear John ultimately. Well, it, it wasn't like that either. I mean, and it's not worth You weren't waiting around either is what I'm getting. Well, no, you're here as evidence to that. <laughs> Even before then, I was pretty sure it was over. The truth is, if you wanted to time it out, this took place about a year before your birth. Mm-hmm. So your your mother was one of the first women I was seeing. Yeah. So, of course, you know, we're not going to go into that, but, <laughs> but your your mother had been the best friend of my ju- junior high sweetheart. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, it was an obvious thing to happen. Mm-hmm. But I really don't know what to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, honestly, the, the, the whole point of getting into the medical stuff was we've only had a, an episode or two come out in that time frame because I didn't know what was going to happen with you and you were a bit of a zombie for a while there. Some of the stuff my cousin was getting you doing, you were just kind of gone for a while there. And so I was just sort of explaining why. It's like, well, we've been away for a while. For you guys that think pure cancer bull <laughs> I tried it man that stuff and the withdrawal from it anybody thinks you can't have withdrawal from you can <laughs> cause I took it my nephew's in the business that's what he's talking about of course it's the same nephew that shot himself for 45 <laughs> but that's what he does I'm not even gonna say the state but he's in a state where it's legal and he makes all that stuff and uh, he made me up some of that anti-cancer stuff he knew the guy that invented that crap anyway it don't work Yeah, I took it I, I think that stuff is great for symptoms especially once you're advanced uh, but if, if there was I'm not talking about the people using it for the, you know, when when they've got cancer and they're using it to control their upset stomach or whatever. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about trying to cure cancer. Right. I took the stuff for three months and it didn't do anything for the cancer. And believe me, I was, I was, you were, you were, you were a zombie and he was hitting up my sister trying to get a hold of me to convince you to take even more. It's like the man's barely even present as it is. I don't 
don't think he needs more. <laughs> no, that stuff's strong, and it, and it takes it takes a lot of guts to take it mm. because you have to ease into it, and then once you're taking it, 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 the best way to compare it is you're basically taking a pound of about eight, every 18 ounces. It's ridiculous. <laughs> high, high dose concentration. Yeah, and, and you 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 find a middle road, but I can see where I've always had a high tolerance for stuff, and even I was a zombie. So you want to talk about Don Pendleton and the executioner? No, we'll we'll bring that in. I want to talk about 007. I'll talk about 007. Yeah, because we can you can edit that crap. You're going to edit all this stuff anyway. Sure, yeah. All right. Uh, I think your listeners should know that this was my idea. All the others, I was following his suggestions. It's his show. But I was out. I was reading. I read a lot. I burn through a book a day easy. And a lot of times I do one and a half. I've even done two in a day. It just depends on what I'm doing. And and I, I've always been able to read fast. And of course, if I'm reading junk, it's even faster. <laughs> one day I was reading something. I think it was a... Clive Cussler book, and I was thinking about my son, and thinking about the podcast, and the stuff we were doing, and it suddenly dawned on me that I'd never read a 007 book, and considering my age, and the stuff I did read, that's odd. Yeah, that's, that's bizarre to me, because when we were talking about doing this podcast, Keita was like, have you ever read a James Bond book? And I said, I've never read a James Bond book, but I've listened to some. The public library used to have the cassettes, and so I would, I would, and of course you would come in a little a clamshell book, and so I got through a number of the books that way. So it's weird to me that of all, you know, that I would have had exposure to the books before you had exposure to the books, especially like you said, as much as you read. But you also, you have particular things you like to read too. Like, you, you know, you, you usually read with some degree of purpose. Like, you, you, like you've got a certain thing you decide you want to well, read. Well, first off, I'm, I'm more, uh, although I, I, when I say junk, I'm talking about fiction. Mm-hmm. For a long time, I was into science fiction. I've got the Asmanoff novel. You're right. In fact, one year for Christmas, you bought me some old, obscure, way out of print stuff mm-hmm. that I've got in my, my collection. Well, and then you got me to read some of the foundation books. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but to, I don't, I, I don't know, at the time, I first started reading Asmanoff in the 80s, and I can't even remember what turned me on to it, but like a lot of things, it is, like you say, kind of a study. I think I, I had heard mentioned something about why they didn't make Asmanoff movies and it's because they made a movie, he, he signed off on a movie in the 60s, or I think it may have been early 70s, I can't remember right off, and it really hacked him off. And of course, I had read the novel, so I know why it hacked him off, because he, you know, he thought they were going to do his story and they did their story. Right. Which is exactly what they did to 007. But most of my reading has always been, if it's not not classical stuff, it's history or biographies, stuff like that. Mm. If I read a biography and doesn't, something doesn't sound right to me, that might set me off in a whole different direction. When I retired, I did logistics. A lot of people don't understand logistics. Most people think it has to do with trucking or moving, like the military, trying to move stuff to the battlefield, you know, to keep the battlefield supplied or whatever. Logistics is a very 
in-depth area. It's kind of like being in what they used to call it. I can't remember, but uh, efficiency. It, it goes into the realm of efficiency. What you're trying to do in logistics is figure out the best way of doing something. It, that's the best way I can put it without getting too technical. Mm. Some logistics require a lot of knowledge of a lot of things. It just so happens that I have studied or done a lot of things. <laughs> so, <laughs> I never sought a career in logistics. It just ended up that way. Yeah. You, you don't intentionally develop a skill set, but sometimes you stumble into it and you don't even know you've done it, but other people recognize it and you essentially get drafted into things where you're like, oh, you want me to do this? Yeah, Am I the guy to do this? Know, and they're like, yeah, you're the guy to do this and then you end up doing it. You, you know? know, the joke, me and two of my sisters, anytime we've ever taken a job, we've ended up creating our own job. You see something that you know you can do and you put yourself in there and eventually it develops into something totally different than what you were hired for. Tell me about them bond books. Alright, now getting back, it was my idea. But the thing was, not only did I not realize, uh, I, I suddenly realized I'd never read a bond book, but I also realized because reading Clive Custer books, they've made several movies on those and other books I've written, and they're never the same as the books. Mm -hmm. It's not just, they're, sometimes they're totally different stories. That told me, it suddenly dawned on me that I didn't know who Bond was. Outside of the movies. Outside of the movies. So I got curious just who he was. And that's where I got the idea. And almost in the same instant of thought was you and I doing something. Mm -hmm. I realized that the Bond books that were written by Fleming were all done mostly in the 50s. There was a few in the 60s. Just decided that I needed to check some of those out. And I started ordering them as used books. And I got some that were in there what would be, if we were going to do just one podcast, what would be the best one to do a podcast on? And it was obvious to me it would be Moonraker. Fleming wrote Moonraker yeah. in the 50s, yeah. based on 50s technology, and a time Early period, 50s yeah. technology. Like, we're, this is pre-Sputnik, I'm guessing. It was pre-ICBM and pre-Sputnik, you know? And I knew that. You know, I'm a kid that used to go in his front yard to look at Sputnik at night. I remember before, I remember the whole space program. You know, it was back in the days you'd go home for lunch from school. I watched John Glenn circle the earth three times while eating Campbell's soup at home on my lunch from school. Mm -hmm. I didn't do it often, but I did anniversary of the Kennedy assassin assassination is here. I saw it on TV and in fact both of these happened. It was in Corpus Christi, Texas and I saw the assassination live because I was at home I don't remember what I was eating. I remember John Glenn. I don't remember. I remember going to school and then telling everybody you could go home because yeah. because you it, went back from lunch. The nation and went into instant mourning. Yeah. You can't. The concept of that. The only thing you could come because it was a while before y'all knew that he was dead. Was that in the evening? Yeah, yeah. That didn't say he was dead. He was he shot. Was, yeah. But but when by the time I got back to school, just the mere fact the president had been shot and it was killed. 
enemy. Yeah. They closed everything down. I, I remember during 9-11, that's the closest thing that you could compare it to. And they didn't close the schools then. I mean, you just don't understand the mindset back then. If you didn't live in the 50s, you, it, it's something that's happy days is not going to get you there. Yeah. There's a different mindset. It was a different time. They were men of their time. I know because my father was one of them, and I watched him over the years how he had to catch up to the world because the world moved faster than they did. And in my lifetime, I used to marvel at what your granny saw. Yeah. She was born in 1903. So she saw the birth of flying, and she flew. She had a boyfriend in the 20s that had 10 Jenny. That was kind of like the Model A of airplanes. Yeah. You know, a plane you could actually climb in and if somebody would turn it over for you, you could go flying in it. It was a marvel. But in the 20s, she used to go flying with a boyfriend in a 10 Jenny. That cousin of mine I, I was talking about, he took his flying test. He, he got his pilot's license when he was 17 and he took his flying test in the uh, 1940 in a 10 Jenny. You know, and today, they still give flying tests in a Cessna 150. You might be flying a plane that's older than your... If a kid went to get his flying license today, he could be taking his pilot's test in an aircraft that was new when his grandfather was a kid. <laughs> so it's not that far out right. there, you know. And I don't know what they do about the avionics nowadays. But, mm -hmm. uh, and for just in case the listeners care, I was a licensed A&P mechanic. I went to school for it, and I also took courses at Rice in Aerospace Engineering, so I know what I'm talking about, because I was flying. The first time I flew a plane, I was 12 years old, mm -hmm. So because of my cousin, and he took me flying. I was flying before then. He just wouldn't let me take over the controls. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I, I landed the plane unassisted, I was 14, mm -hmm. So and I was, I don't know if it still exists, but there used to be something called Civil Air Patrol. Civil Air Patrol is a civilian auxiliary of the U.S. Air Force that you might not know about. You don't need to be a pilot or have military experience to join. It's a volunteer auxiliary. You do need to be interested in community service, mentoring, and bringing out the best in others. And I was in the Civil Air Patrol. In fact, and, you know, I was a Cub Scout, but I was never a Boy Scout because I was in the Civil Air Patrol. <laughs> All right. Anyway, getting to know who the 007 really is. Right. And again, I just say the differences between film and book. Moonraker couldn't have been anywhere. Yeah. Right now, we're not going to make much comparison. Between. Okay. Yeah, because I would like to see the movie so we can like have more direct contrast. Oh, uh, yeah. We'll, we'll deal with that today okay also well if nothing else i can watch it and we come well, back i want i want the listeners to know that i want this done with no sport okay and since i've already you know i already i own all the movies uh, i know them all by heart the books i can tell you things we can get to know james bond without spoiling the books and we don't even have to spoil the movies either mm. we don't have to make that comparison because this is kind of interesting and some of it it'll seem superficial and some of it will seem deep. Moonraker was written in 1955. That makes it younger than me. And like we said, nobody had been to space, you know? 
it was still science fiction. Militaries were trying to get into space because they saw that as a new way to get the best of somebody else. But we were still living in the age of propeller airplanes and big-ass bombs. That's the other thing people need to understand while we're in this discussion. I started flying before I can remember flying. Now I took a plane trip. I don't remember it because I don't remember any of them before the age of four. But we used to travel to Houston all the time, which is the family homestead for my mother. In fact, her, both her father and her mother always lived in Houston. So we always had, that's why Houston was always home. But I was born somewhere else. I was lived in San Antonio, McAllen, Corpus Christi, Refurio. So I was all over the place. And that meant that we were flying in airplanes. I can remember flying when I was four years old in a commercial DC-3. And then it was DC-6s and DC-8. And I think my first jet flight was on a 707. And that was in the 60s. Mm-hmm. I remember flying from Nashville, Tennessee to Houston, Texas in a Constellation. For people that don't know, that was one of the biggest propeller aircraft designed for commercial use. Three tails, four engines, and not only that, it was a Super Kind, which was the one that they built to go, you know, jump the pond in and stuff. People were flying in jet planes, but you could get long route flights on propeller planes and save some money. And that's that's how, and, and I wouldn't trade that experience for anything in the world. Constellation was a great aircraft. I mean, people don't know, just like the 707 was a great aircraft. You know, that's a, that's a great story right there. And right here, it happened when they were demonstrating the 707. They did it to people out in NASA. It was supposed to be the jet aircraft for the Jet A. And the 707, they've written songs about that plane. Out on the runway number nine Dick 707 set to go Boing, boing, 707 Going, going, skywardly, heavenly Higher than bluebirds fly Why then, oh, why can't I? That 707 was starting to roll There's a Peter Paul and Mary song where the big 707 is mentioned, you know. And for a long time, we flew. Uh, my mother would only fly American Airlines. I made, in fact, my trip to Vietnam was in a 707, and they were using them well into the 70s. But here's a commercial, a big commercial airliner, four engines, and when they demonstrated it out at NASA, the pilot got cocky and did a roll in it. I have never done a roll in a big aircraft, but I can 
a match. <laughs> so anyway, the book was written in 1955. Okay. And of course, the Roger Moore movie in 1978 when there or 79? Uh, 39. 1979. Yeah, because I, I saw that one. I saw it theatrically. Yeah, okay. And, and if I remember right, I saw it like at the Windsor Theater or something when it first came out, which is another thing. It was the only 70 millimeter movie theater uh, that was 70 millimeters ever built in Houston. Mm-hmm. And it was over there. It hasn't existed for a long time. I used to work for a while. I worked for the company that owned it. And so we used to get in and out of it for free <laughs> when, when you were a kid in the 80s. Yeah. But then it became a, a nightclub that was a big success called Cooter. Oh, I know. I remember Cooter's. Yeah. yeah well, I've never been there, but I remember hearing ads for it on the radio and yeah. stuff. Yeah. But, but when it was it was built, it, it was built for just the 70 millimeter screen. Mm-hmm. And then when cinemas came out where there was more than one screen, multiplexes, yeah. it was so big that they turned the balcony into a separate movie theater. <laughs> and it had two screens, one upstairs. So. Mm-hmm. But that can give you an idea you see these big 4K TVs that Samsung and stuff makes that, that is a wraparound. Yeah. And that's what a 70 millimeter screen is like. So if you're sitting anywhere forward of the center aisle, the, the screen is going to be in your peripheral vision. Yeah. Uh, I'll never forget. I used to watch all this. I watched Star Wars there. Uh, I think I saw it in one of the older things and then I went to see it on the 70 millimeter screen. All the Star Trek movies, I had to go there to see them. You were there sometimes when we mm, saw yeah. and that 17 millimeter was unbelievable but you know it was it was a technology that didn't really last that long in Hollywood a lot of John Wayne movies were shot in 70 millimeter mm-hmm. Getting back to, uh, I'd made the notes that the first ICBM, which was the Soviet R7, and the Sputnik, both were in 1957. Right. So this book was written two years before they existed. Right. Okay. I knew all of this in my head. So when you compare that to the space shuttle, you know, nobody, space shuttle, it, it wasn't even a dream back in those right. days. At the time this book was written, Bond was supposed to be, Bond the man was supposed to be 36 years old. And he's already thinking of his retirement, that there was a forced retirement age for the 007, which was 45. I made these notes in each book because they, in the books, they keep track of it. In the movies, they don't. You got to picture Bond in a totally, I'm going to tell you about the real Bond now. And you got to picture him in a totally different light than the movie. And some of the way I've written this is almost directly from the book. He's a boring civil service worker, mostly deals in an office with dockets and files. Now, one of the things they never show you in the movie is Bond's got his own office. And he's got his own secretary. In the movies, a lot of the stuff that goes to Money Penny, and she is, Money Penny is a character in the book, but she's M's secretary. But in the movies, most of what transpires between Bond and his secretaries, because he had several in the book, is the that's where they get that stuff for Money Penny. Well, that's one of the things with movies is they're all about the economy of storytelling. So they're always wanting to take three different characters and merge them into one character, pay one actor to do all the characters. Okay. Books, you know, to make well, sense. Anyway, yeah. Bond doesn't have his own office. The office has three desks in it. And 
the secretary's in an ante room outside. There are three 007s. And in the movies, they never really mention, but there's three 007s. There's 007, 008, and 0011. And the reason for this is 007s lose their lives sometimes because in the books, they are mortals. When you say, is it 0011 or 011? No, it'd be 0011. Okay. 00. So you have to be a 00 and then 11. I got you. Okay. Now, this is the third book that he wrote. You got to remember that, you know, the movies never touch on this stuff. What it always ends up being is the 006 died and now 007 needs to take over. That's It seems like that's in a lot of the movies. 006 is the most unlucky because he's always the one who dies no, before Jeff no, Bond no. When there is a 006, right. he is a subordinate to 007. Okay. Okay. But in this book, a third book written, there are three of them. Okay. Seven, eight, and eleven. Okay. They each have a desk in the office. Mm -hmm. Now, in the case of this, they're both on assignment. He's in the office by himself. Like I said, he mostly deals with dockets and files, checking reports, that kind of, because he's ahead double up. And so he has to filter work for guys like M. And that's another thing they hardly ever talk about M's counterpart, his assistant in the movie. Sometimes in the movies, they give Q, which is almost never mentioned in the book. Mm -hmm. Okay? And when he is, he's not referred, he's referred to a guy from Q Brand. Right. You know? The movies created that real character. I'm going to tell you right off, we're going to cover this a lot because it makes a big difference in the Bond character. The 007 James Bond, he is a drunk and a chain smoker. We, we started talking about this last night and I got cut off. James Bond will drink anything put in front of him. And almost all these guys, they were guys of their time, and they all drank. But he was he was always smoking and always drinking. And it didn't matter what you put in front of him. He's going to drink it. I don't want to say any more about that because when we get into another book, we're, we're going to discover about the martini business. Yeah. He carried a gunmetal black cigarette case and a lighter. They were both black gunmetal. Mm -hmm. None of that gold crap. Mm -hmm. He smokes about three packs a day. He also, this is the other thing, they never mention his home life. He lives in a bungalow in Chelsea, and he has a housekeeper named May, and he highly prizes this woman. She's his cook and housekeeper, and he just loves her to death. She's not all that old. You know, she, she's not that much older than he is, but he views her kind of as an older woman. But he has this comfortable flat in Chelsea off of King's Road, and May is a Scotswoman that works for him. And you got to remember, they don't really talk about this much in the movie. Some of the, they can't have it. But you got to remember that he is a Scotsman. His mother was Swedish and his father was a Scotsman. Mm -hmm. So when you when you talk about that, that's why they chose Connery. Because he best fit the situation. Yeah. Except for the fact that Connery's a lot more man than 007 is. 007 is not the swing and D in the books that he is in the movie. Mm -hmm. In fact, he's, he's a little creep, but creepy in a way, because he likes married women, and he has three married women in London mm -hmm. that are his regular, and he likes it that way. He sees it as tight. Mm -hmm. <laughs>
right, now this is where we're getting into the real guy. I've already mentioned, you know, the guy is 36. You don't need high level math for this. He's 36, and this is this is 1955. What he drives, and he's driven it since it was new, is a 1930 Bentley's Coupe. And anybody that's familiar with the old Avengers show and John Steed, John they bought they John Steed pretty much drove any car they could get their hands on at the time. But for a long time there, they tried to keep it that big Bentley. That is the same kind of car that 007 drove. A great big old tank of a Bentley. That's what he, he drove. Uh, because they made that car from like 1928, 29 till later in the 30s. It was the same body stuff. Yeah. So it don't matter which year you get. It's all the engines change uh, and the transmission change. But basically it was the same car. Mm. And that's what he drove. Also in Moonraker is the first book where there's any kind of car chase. Mm-hmm. And in this car chase, that's what happens to the Bentley. But we're talking about a car here that was doing good at 90 miles an hour. That's why Bond liked it. And if you want to get, Bond was kind of like me. He's kind of a hot rodder. He did have a supercharger. And people don't realize that there was such a thing almost from the beginning of automobiles where they were, could be recognized as automobiles. There is there was available supercharger. In fact, some of the World War II aircraft were supercharged. So he had a supercharger on it, but we're still talking 90 miles an hour. If you drove it, if you could get it to 100 miles an hour, it was likely to blow up on it. <laughs> and in this, he does push it in this. It just so happened he was on a, a road where he couldn't push it beyond its limit. Bond got maybe two or three assignments a year and they weren't always day all that dangerous. Well, you told me this car chase that they'd wrecked the Bentley and that he'd had the Bentley since he bought it in 34. And no, since 30. Was it 30? I think yeah, it was a 1930 Bentley. Okay. He said that like all the stuff, the Aston Martins and stuff was bullshit from the movies and he'd only had the two Bentleys, one of which he wrecked Yeah, we movie. touched that last night. Yeah. I didn't want to mention the the Bentley that he had to, re- okay. which which is what made me read the book after this. Oh, yeah. I didn't intend to, do, <laughs> but I had to find out what, what happened to the car. Yeah, because I knew the question would be there for everybody. Yeah. So I had to read it, and I'm glad I did. But we'll get to that when we get to that book. Okay. But, but see, okay. that's exactly why I kept telling you save it for the podcast because I don't know what you're truly going to do. Oh, but I've got a quote here. I told you I didn't. I didn't want to really get into the author that much, but I, I saw it. I wanted to leave this note here so I remembered this. When I wrote the first one in 1953, I wanted Bond to be an extremely dull, uninteresting man to whom things happen. I wanted him to be a blunt instrument. When I was casting around for a name for my protagonist, I thought that by God, James Bond is the dullest name I ever heard. Didn't work out for the world, though, did it? No. Well, not just that, but my understanding is that he had named him after like an ornithologist or something? He, he, that's true. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't want to get... No, I, I didn't think that he, he, I thought he took the name because he liked it, not because he thought it was dumb. Son, you know, 
know I couldn't do something like this without doing the research. So I, I researched him and I was going to, I'm going to let some of this come out later, but I don't really want to talk about him. Right. But, but I mean, you're talking about his books. So there's a, a well, and, and who he and was very much a, a lot of the stuff that he put in these books. He chose names of people he knew. That's how those names, he didn't come up with those names. They were names of people he knew or met. And he put some of their personalities in there, in everybody. And there's a lot of Fleming in the character of Bond. Fleming was a drunk. Fleming was a chain smoker. That's what killed him at the age of 57. Mm -hmm. But we don't want to get into Fleming because he's not a likable guy. Mm -hmm. Plus, some some of your listeners might want to find that out for themselves. It's, it's well, like, you, yeah, it's not like you can spoil autobiography or biography, you know? I mean, some well, I'm sure most of them are going to Google Wikipedia or mm -hmm. something. But the information is there. Yeah. They're not going to do what I did. Yeah. Uh, but maybe you didn't go and read like a biography or something, did you? Oh hell yeah. Oh yeah. Did he oh. have an autobiography? Huh? Did he have an autobiography or was he just? It was a biography. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. He didn't live long enough to autobiography. No, no, no. But he did. He was a very pompous individual. Mm. And, and like I told you in the car, and I will say this: if you want to know Fleming as far as his attitude and the way he thought about himself, all you got to do is look at Donnie Duke. Yeah. That's all you get that because he was a pompous shit. Well, you were complaining of having read these books that he would up and decide to write whole passages in French or German. And we were going to get into that, okay. but but we don't have to deal with it here. Okay. Okay. His, his secretary's name, they did, he changed secretaries every once in a while. Most of these books, being a man of his time, they get married and leave the service. Right. Okay. But his secretary's name in, in, in this was Lolia. Hans, the M's, and his chief of staff, who they very seldom even think anything of in the movies. Nobody, you know, it's always him. It's never his chief well, of staff. It's like you mentioned in the books, Bond is the bureaucrat. Bond is the guy who's mostly behind the desk. Where in the movies, since he's man of action, you got to dump all that stuff on him right. because somebody's got to be telling people what to do. So right. he's got to be organizing the ship. Yeah, about the only thing the movies kept is they kept fairly close to the M type personality. It's like they never mentioned. Miss Moneypenny's name and her name was Jane but they mentioned it in Skyfall I've got it here where they said her name was Eve okay. so alright you uh, say in the movie Skyfall she's Eve? in the book Miss okay. Moneypenny's name is Jane right that's what it's I was Jane yeah. Moneypenny so it, but they use the name Eve in the movie Skyfall okay that's what I was confirming okay well, it's it's Skyfall, Skyfall isn't a book right or is it a book but it's, it's Skyfall is a book but it's not a Ian Fleming book uh, I don't think so I think yeah. it was it was you know, the book's continued by other authors. Sure, yeah. Uh, including the guy he sued. But if you went to Chelsea, you know, Chelsea, I wanted to say that because of where he lived, Chelsea is kind of a, we would have called it a yuppie kind of place for that time. Foo-foo kind of neighborhood in London on the thing. And it's really a high-end neighborhood today. Very high-end. Yeah. I didn't want to say too much about the movie. And I want to mention this. We're going to get this anyway. I've got it here. First thing I've written here that people need to know is all those gadgets and things yeah. that's all movie had nothing to do with the book and we'll get around he he did have a gadget for one of these jobs you know uh, where it was necessary but it wasn't like and they used it they used it in a different story uh, they used parts of the books in other movies
movies. In other words, they, they there is this line, and when, when we get around to it, I'll talk about it, that they took from one of the books, and they used it, uh, I think it was in the most recent Casino Royale uh, The 2006 movie. one. Yeah, it, did, it, yeah. it wasn't, it didn't happen in Casino Royale, but that's where they finally found a place to use that line. I, when I read it in the book, I thought it was one of the best lines I'd ever read. It was so apropos to the story, but in the, in the movie, they didn't use it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, three decades later, four decades later, they use it in Skyfall. Well, it's interesting because you're mentioning all of this stuff in the books, and in preparation for this talk, I watched the multiple versions of Casino Royale, and the David Niven James Bond expresses contempt repeatedly for all the gadgets that his replacement had, had used. You know, we felt like they were maybe going back to the book more, and then in the Daniel Craig Casino Royale, they make multiple mentions of Bond's preference for married women, which is not something I remember from any of the other movies. Mm-hmm. I didn't even remember it from that movie. It had been too long since I'd seen it. And so it's interesting that these elements of the books find their way specifically into the Casino Royale adaptations, where it's like kind of broadsides me as a person who's mostly seen the book, movies. So. Well, of course, David Nevins was a spoof anyway. Yeah. Okay. But let's and, not don't go too far into that because I want to actually talk about that Casino Royale. Well, but because just you, going I'm way. going right to the point mm-hmm. you just mm-hmm. made. That what he was doing was what it sounds like to me. They're in a movie and they're making a spoof of the other movie. Yeah. They're not making the spoof of the books. Yeah. So the point where you're talking about because in none of the books, I'll just tell you this now, in none of the books are there gadgets. Mm-hmm. Hey, none said of there's one gadget. But when we talk about it, you realize it's not a gadget at okay. all. Okay. We're talking about something that's odd. Okay. And, but I, I really want to hold off to sure, where sure. we're talking about that, okay. that part. But basically, I I don't want to tell you, like I told you, I don't want any spoilers. Okay. Uh, but I, I think you've got enough now to piece together your thing. Comparing the Moon Record movie to this book is exactly what my first thought was. Is the movie is nothing like the book. Yeah. There, it can't be. Yeah. They only took a name essentially. Everything else. They is took. It's a, it's a name only. There's a couple of little things that are close that you could say that could came from the book, mm-hmm. but you couldn't really swear. To it. Right. Yeah. You really look. It, no, it's mostly like location stuff. Yeah. Okay. But but uh, you're right. The Moonraker movie is basically a title from a book. Yeah. The stuff that was in the book found its way into a whole bunch of movies <laughs> before or after Moonraker. Huh? Before or after Moonraker, the movie. Both. Yeah. That, that's what that's what I'm saying. The, we're getting to know this boring man that was the real James Bond. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, the, I don't know if I would say the real James Bond, but the original novel James Bond. The, the, he the is Rose the, Bond. He is the James Bond. Well, the thing is, though, is James Bond has obviously transcended the books. I, I think that James Bond as a concept, especially in world culture, is really derived from the movies. The books may have inspired the movies and, and helped to chart their course, but most people, if you say James Bond, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's going to be conjured up by that name that's not what's in the books. So that's the whole point of doing these podcasts. Exactly, exactly. Because... Well, that's why I'm saying it, it may Maybe the original Bond, maybe the novel Bond, maybe Ian Fleming's Bond. That doesn't necessarily make him the, the real Ian Bond. Ian Fleming's Bond yeah. is a more relatable guy mm-hmm. and a more interesting guy. Mm-hmm. I don't care how much more boring he is. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's just like our. We, yeah, I'm sure you'll find an edit way to put it in mm-hmm. to when we get away with our normal kind of talking. Yeah. But our normal discussions of things. But he's a guy that has been to war. You got to realize he was in World War Two. 
just like Ian Fleming was in World War II. Yeah. He was in intelligent, just like Fleming was in intelligent. Yeah. He's got fear. He breaks out in his cold sweat. He has to question himself. You know, he's not the soup. James Bond, you're right. James Bond in the movies is a superhero. There's no other way you can put it. He's a Batman in daylight. Mm -hmm. Okay. You can't compare him to a real human being. And the real, the James Bond in the novels is a real human being. And that's what makes him interesting. Mm -hmm. He breaks into cold sweat. He suffers from nightmares. He wants that adrenaline rush of an assignment. And at the same time, it scares his dick short. <laughs> he can't sleep. And the characters, the evil guy, they don't have a lot of gadgets either. There's not that much similarity. In the movies, they mix up the bad guy. And we're going to get to that. But I did these things in a certain sequence. Mm -hmm. The reason why is because in the early books, the first two, they really don't tell you that much about the man. Fleming is releasing who James Bond is in very small spaces in the books as they progress. Now, so is the first book also Dr. No? Yeah. Or is it Casino Royale? Oh, 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 no. Yeah, you're right. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> so when you say in the first books where they're not telling you about the backstory of the character, where I guess they're more focused on the mission, which are those early books? I don't, I don't know for sure what's oh, oh, the Oh, 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 okay. Yeah. All right. So I, I'm guessing it's Casino Royale, Dr. No, and then something else. Was it, does it go, does hang it follow the Hang on, hang on, hang on, man. Uh, yeah, I knew this was going to get mentioned. Okay, the reason why I kept track of this, kept it on here in case this came up, because each time we talk about one, I talk about which movie it was and which book it was. Yeah. So I didn't think about the list. And when you first started talking, I thought you knew what you were talking about, and you didn't. Okay. Casino Royale was the first book. Right. But Dr. No was the sixth book. Okay. It was the first movie. Right. And that's why I needed your clarification. You're yeah. the book guy. And, and that's the other point of it. These books, the character of Bond is sequential. But it's not serialized, right? It's sequential, yeah, but like they're not dependent on one another. They're just progressing in terms of his career. But it's not like there's no cliffhangers. They're not really having like serialized elements where you have to go Actually, the book. there are cliffhangers. Oh, yeah? Something else that won't show Okay. When the ones I read, there's two that are cliffhangers. You don't really find the end of the story till you get to me. Okay. Okay. And you're you're mistaken. You you want to use the term serial. Yeah, they are. You see the man and his progression through life. The man is a serial. Like I said, there's two cliffhangers. When you're talking two cliffhangers, that's four books out of eleven. Yeah. You see my point? Sure, yeah. It is important. Okay. But it's only important if you care about the real James Bond. I can talk about the real James Bond. I I tell your listeners about the real James Bond and not spoil the books and not spoil the movies. Okay. You know, there's no reason for a spoiler here. Interesting. If you find this stuff as interesting, you told me when you got good feedback from your listeners about listening to me and you. Yeah. That I find astounding. <laughs> But, hey, if they want it, we'll give it to them. You know, it, it, it works for me. And it gives us something to do except stare each other and talk about what, like, I'm still hoping, like, maybe tomorrow or something, we'll get together, we'll go to the club and shoot some guns. Yeah. You know? You saw, I just gave you the, the little mini gun tour that I just finished. I'm sure you're going to have a lot of fun stroking it because then when you watch a movie or read a book, you don't know what it's like to use one of them little suckers. Mm -hmm. 
in case people don't know, we are in Texas, and this is a right to own state. So yeah, I got machine gun. My son's not that, just like my hot rods, he views a vehicle as a habitat. The best vehicle is one that's a habitat for whatever. It's, 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 a, it's, a it's a conveyance from one place to another place, and it's somewhere for me to eat my lunch, especially in the COVID era. Yeah, well, you really like minivan too. When oh yeah, had, I did enjoy my vans. That's well, true. The, the fuel economy wasn't great, and it's tough to justify, but I, I did enjoy having vans. Yeah, yeah. but see, in my time, we wanted the vans because they were rolling bedrooms. Right. And party rooms, because we all had bars in our vans. <laughs> but <laughs> you saw it as an abode. <laughs> anyway, although he doesn't race or give a damn about show cars or whatever, he was raised to know how to use a gun. And some of me like, some of me don't like. But I've never heard him complain when he's firing an automatic. <laughs> In fact, one of his favorites, which I gave away to a stepbrother of his, was my 45 1911 A1. And he was damn good with it. So he's I, I, You give me more credit than I give myself. Son, I watch you shoot. You're, you're just like mom is. You, you're a technical shooter. Mm. You're actually aiming. Yeah. But you hit what you aim at. So, <laughs> all right, we're going to cover another one. Oh, well, I thought you were, because you're done talking about the books already? Because uh, here's the thing. Like, I understand you're saying, well, I don't want to do spoilers and stuff. But, like, for instance, you, you know, we already covered the movie, Dr. No. Do you want to talk a little bit about the book, Dr. No? You don't have to go into, if you don't want to go into Maybe. spoiler stuff, you don't have so, to. But, okay. Let like, me, tell me some differences let me between get back. book and movie. I, I, we're talking about these in an order, which I'm sure when you go to edit, it's going to help you. Okay. But you're seeing an order that I'm not seeing. Right. Okay. A show one. What do I got listed as show two? Well, okay. Tell me something. What What is your order? What, how are you coming so up? So you're going into the publication I'm, I'm looking at now. i got to find <laughs> show two. You only live twice is show two. Okay. So show one was Moonraker. Show two is you only live twice. Yes. Okay. And the, and the reason, now, is there a reason why we need to talk about yes, that now? Because of the way Fleming wrote the book. We're trying to get to know 007. Okay. So tell me about it. You only live twice. So I assume this is the second book in the series. In public no. Publication it's day. not the second book. Okay. So are you saying that the early books is they don't get into the bond, we're skipping that, and we're going into the next one that actually relates to who this person is outside of the mission. We're jumping from book three to book twelve. Okay, so, so but why? Huh? But why? Because book died, Fleming died before this book was released. Right, so it was the last one. Okay, this book actually deals with things that were happening in the day. Okay, the and he book, passed after the movies had already started. The, but The book was written in 64. Fleming died in 64. Okay. Okay. This is movie four, by the way. Yeah. Now, how it many... It was book 12, but it was movie four. But how many movies had been released by 64? Only like one or two, right? It's the fourth movie. Begging your pardon, Mr. Dude, sir, but it was actually the fifth movie, which you and your son have not yet recorded on. We covered Dr. No in episode four, from Russia with Love was in Bonding Agents episode five, 1964's Goldfinger was last episode, and Diablo Frank has been sitting on your recording on 1965's Thunderball since 2018, in the event that you died, and the show posthumously wrapped with your favorite Bond movie. Since we're next to cover Mac Bolan and Matt Helm, we may still... No, 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 I understand that, but I'm saying at, in 1964, how many James Bond movies were in existence? How many had been filmed by that point? I think there's only one or two. That's what I'm thinking, too. Well, I've got that in my notes. Okay. See, you, you're... <laughs> 
So you're not in the same sequence. You're trying to, you got all these questions, and I'm sure the listeners do too. Mm-hmm. But if we don't, I wrote this sequence, and I'm sure you'll be able to find some of this in here because it's important to the James Bond character. Okay. Well, Luke, explain okay. it to me. This book is book 12. It was written in 1964. Mm-hmm. Fleming died in 64. It's the fourth movie that was done in 67 and was a Sean Connery movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. It takes place. That's the other thing is this is important. This In the books, they tell you exactly the place and time. It's not an abstract thing. This book, and we can go back to the other one and I can tell you. I've got that on there. I just You distracted me, I guess. This place ta- takes place from August of 62 to April of 63, and Bond is 44. Okay. And remember what I said. This is his, his, his last year, basically. That's what he's thinking in his head. Well, tell me this, because this is a span of time of nearly a year. Is he 44 at the beginning, or is he 44 at the end? What do you mean? You just gave me a span of time of nearly a year between the beginning of the book and the ending of the book. So is he 44 at the end of the book, or is he 44 at the beginning of the book? It's not. I'm by I'm covering six months here. Right, that's half You're a year. You're talking in terms, he's 44 in all of it. Right. So, 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 we're, so that means we've got six months in the life of a person who's within who's his last year of service. Right. Because he, he, he retires at 45. Right. So that means at most he's got six months to go after this mission is done. Okay. Because it takes that, that large span of time. And given that he only has about a mission a year anyway, it sounds like this would probably be his last mission. It's on his mind. Okay. It affects his behavior. Sure. He mentioned in this book about John F. Kennedy mm-hmm. and what happened to him. Yeah. He's mentioned as the president, however, speech reference never happened. He references a speech that Kennedy never made. <laughs> <laughs> Which is humorous. Right. You know, because he's a real stickler about his timeline. Uh-huh. It's very important that timelines very important to Bond and, and, and yet he, he quotes a speech that Kennedy never gave uh-huh. and believe me I did a week of research <laughs> trying to find that speech uh-huh. Kennedy never gave it it okay. never existed <laughs> in this there's there's no gizmos mm-hmm. and there's no car chase yeah okay also it's 63 mm-hmm. so uh, when we get to the go back in time talk about the other movie I'm giving the I'm not trying to make it a clip hanger, but it's better to talk about his new car okay. that gets destroyed in the book, the 1930 Bentley. Okay. And the cars are, I find, I believe, you may not see it that way, but I think they're very important to the discussion of Bond. Certainly for the movies. Uh, you say for the books as well. The Bentley, I guess, is, is important the to the books. movies are irrelevant as far as I'm concerned. They are a different animal. It's like I said, in the movies, him and his, everything about him is superhero. Right. Above standard, you know? He used stuff in in, in the movies before existing. Mm-hmm. Okay? And he the movies borrow from all kinds of things. It's obvious to me that a lot of the stuff in the movies were stolen from the Dick Tracy comic strip and oh, comic. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You know? It specifically which one was it? I think it was Casino Royale where they have the two-way wrist video and Dick Tracy had of course had the radio back in the 30s and I think sometime in the 60s they updated him and he had it video. Right. You, you and bet. then David Niven I think gets one of those and is mocking it as well. Yeah, right. and it was 
It was almost the 80s before there was an affordable digital watch. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, Ursula Andress is the one that's in the watch. And I think she might be naked at the time. And he's sort of like, woo! You know? (laughs) He wasn't expecting that. Which is funny, too, because recently Dame Judi Dench accidentally FaceTimed some of her co-stars in a movie while she was in the tub not realizing what FaceTime was. And so she gave them a show as well. She's nearly 90. So probably a different experience than seeing Ursula Andress in your two movies. We were talking about women that hold up well, look at her. Mm-hmm. Her body doesn't really reflect her age. Mm-hmm. Alright, I mean, no, not not Judy Dench, I'm sorry. Ursula Andrews? No, that's, not the, it's an... Well, we talked about Mimi Newer she, last night. She's, she's in the fine stuff. She's also a, a dame of the court, but it's completely different actress, I'm sorry. Are, you, are we, we talking about uh, Diana Rick? No. Okay. Diana Rick didn't hold together very well either. I'm just trying to find something that would make sense within this context. Well, I don't really see I don't know which day you're talking about. We can move on. We'll, we'll, we'll get to it. Come to, I'm trying to talk about Bond here. You want to talk about every fucking bitch around the world that looks good at 67. <laughs> Uh, okay, the no car crap, no gizmo crap in this book, and of course it's much later than the original movie. Than the movie, this book again was much better than the movie. A completely different story. While so James Bond doesn't become Japanese in the book, as a for instance, that would probably be especially in the modern context. That'd be a big improvement. So we don't want to spoil it. Okay, now that's a spoiler. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's a spoiler. Okay, sure, sure. Okay, while some similar location and people are in the film, the book has nothing to do with the film. Yeah. Okay. So basically, they're both in Japan, and that's where the similarities end, or is that even... Yeah, kind of sort of. Okay. Okay. Three of the books, as with this one, has the same madman genius opponent for Bond, and this is the last of the series. As with all the books, the characters are much deeper and more interesting and has nothing to do with space. It is also the only book that gives you insight to Bond's beginnings. His father was a Scot and his mother was Swiss. Both were killed in an accident when he was 11 and he was raised by an aunt. Something none of the movies touch up. They never get, in one of the later movies I think there's a reference to his mother being a Swiss. Okay. Well, again, having recently rewatched Casino Royale, one of the ways in which Bond and Vesper Lynn Bond is they're both orphans, and that's made explicit in that movie. I'm not sure that they ever talked about Bond being an orphan prior to Casino Royale 2006 edition. None of this or his other background has anything to do with the story, and it was odd and felt off inserting it in the story. Mm. So in other words, I think Fleming had an idea of what he wanted. And I could see it in the other books. That's why, see, this is where, this is now, this is where I'm trying to tell you why we're doing it in this sequence. We're doing it in this sequence because it's valid. When I was doing my research on Fleming, because some of the same questions that nagged you hit me when I'm reading the book. Why is he doing it this way? Yeah. Okay. He had something in his head. What it was, I'm not sure. But you know he was involved in this long lawsuit. And it had to do with copyright and ownership of some of the property. Yeah. I'm sure that was kind of in But he he knew who Bond was. And I think he saw what the movies right off the get. You know, he had nothing to do with the movie. Mm-hmm. 
Not even the first one. Yeah. They, it was a, a deal he made to try to get this lawsuit stuff cleared up. He never had anything to do with the movies. He was never really interested in the movies. But I don't want to talk about him because it, it doesn't really have to do with Biden. See, this is, this is an area of contention for me. I think it's kind of hard to say that the author, the creator, the person who's guiding this version of Bond that you've taken to so strongly late in your life, trying to divorce Fleming from Bond, who sounds very much like an author proxy. I, I have issue with that. I think that you kind of have to leave still. Like, for instance, you're saying, right, that, they, like, for, for instance, you're saying that they shoehorn this, this key element of Bond's formative nature into this last book. And I don't know if Fleming knew that his health was declining. I don't know if he knew how close he, he was to the end of his life. He knew. Yeah, so he's inserting this stuff because he's not sure if he's got another book in him to tell that story. Well, that's important to why he shoehorned into that one book because the guy knows he's checking out. So it, you kind of have to address... I don't think he knew well, he, knew he, he was decline. checking out, but yeah. he knew he was having an issue. Yeah. Because things that already happened, and believe it or not, okay, well, I, I, you you can edit this any way you want, because I'll just tell you till you get off my hands. Okay. Okay. Everything that he put in them Bond books were things he knew and existed. Yeah. Now, if it didn't happen to him, it happened to somebody, or it could have happened. It was a name. Yeah. It was a name. Yeah. In the books, Bond really loved the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's almost safe right now. But it, 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 it lived at Goldeneye, you know, in the Caribbean. There you go. Yeah. That was the name of, you know, how the Brits name every damn thing. <laughs> he named his place in the Caribbean Goldeneye. Yeah. And that's where he died. Yeah. Okay. With but, too much But what was Goldeneye yeah. in the movie? Mm -hmm. Goldeneye was the satellite in the movie. Right. Yeah. Okay. So it, it's not in the book. It's, it's different. Yeah. Okay. But we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> okay. It has nothing to do Bond the Man. Except Bond the Man doesn't exist and Ian Fleming does and Ian Fleming is clearly writing a version of himself and people he knows into the Bond character so that's it's not right. relevant. That's right. But we're getting to know the Bond that he wrote. Sure. And I've got a section after we talk to the... See, I've got more than we have to discuss at all. Mm -hmm. I've got I've got more books. I read more books than that. Sure. Because how long does it take me to read 11, 12 books? Right. 11 or 12 days. Easy. Especially when they're nothing but rats. Uh, I mean, compared to Treasure Island, you can read four Bond books. Mm -hmm. All right. So anyway, let's get back to my notes here because uh, well, unfortunately, you don't get through the notes as quickly as you get through the books. <laughs> so that's one of the reasons why I keep getting ahead of you because it's like, well, what about this? Because you're giving me time to think about these things. And we can mop that up. I've got a, besides more books than we need. Uh, I've got a trash pot of all kind of bullshit that you're talking about. Okay. That can be a whole show just sure. wrapping it up. Okay. Well, let's let's. Uh, and it might also, you you know, because you're you're going to be editing this shit probably for months. <laughs> what we're doing right now might not come out till this time next year. For all I know. I'll probably get one out before uh, by like Christmas time. Well, I, and the know. more of this shit we get through, the more you'll have to put in your first show. Okay. All right. There is plenty from this book transplanted in the other Bond films. Mm -hmm. In other words, the movie was, was nothing like the book, mm -hmm. but a lot of pieces from the book ended up in other movies. Yeah. Big. Well, and I, clearly, too, as the movies progress, there's a greater desire to show some fidelity 
originality or to borrow from the original works. I think in part because things got so fantastic and people's tastes for that fantasy wavered, especially going into the 80s and such, that you might as well borrow from the books now because you don't need to have everything be a cartoon like the movies became. Like, especially, you know, we're talking a little bit about the, the uh, Daniel Craig Bond. One of the biggest things about him, both him and Timothy Dalton, that got, like pushed them to the fore was we're doing something closer to the books. We're doing something more grounded. We're, we're, we're doing gritty and raw and more like the actual intelligence and all that kind of stuff. And that's obviously what Flynn was doing back in the day was this is what the actual intelligence community is like. You want me to tell you how I see what you just said? Go for it. I probably should say this, but the truth is the films themselves are shaking, not stirred. <laughs> and that's a fact. Uh-huh. Okay. The best show of this is in Th- Thunderball and the 1983 bastard film Never Say Never Again. Mm-hmm. The, the movie is the same story mixed up. Okay. So one of them's not a book, mm-hmm. but the movies wanted to tell it twice. Yeah. See? So they wrote it double. Okay. Not even wiki shows because I, I, I knew, you know, everybody's always talking you can't go by a wiki. Mm-hmm. And it's true because I've checked it yeah. many times. Yeah. Not even wiki shows it in the list of films and yet they devote a good eight pages about the film. I especially enjoyed and did well in 83. Mm-hmm. So they didn't even, it's not listed in the list of films. Yeah. Okay. But it was one of the films. But they have their own page on Wiki just for that film. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It, 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 uh, not only that, but that was the film that did the best out of the two. It was the one in 83. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I found it pretty astounding. Whereas I find it actually unsurprising because the whole point of that movie was that the co-writer had rights over his contributions to the book and therefore they had to make sure they were adapting the book and nothing from the movie Thunderball because the Thunderball movie is owned by the movie studio and the whole loophole is that we're adapting the book that you don't have the rights to because the lawsuit gave the rights back to that co-writer or gave partial rights to that co-writer and so they had to be more faithful to the book because anything they did that wasn't part of the book especially if it was anything that tied into the movie where it's exclusive to the first movie Thunderball they would be uh, infringing upon the copyrights of the screenwriters and the studio for Thunderball they couldn't do that they had to adapt the book you know I'm glad you got that in there for editing practice <laughs> if I don't talk about plumbing you can talk about plumbing put it in there anywhere you want to well okay so so what are we, where are we at now what are we well, I'll get back to it but I got a piss okay Yeah, I think so. Okay. The one with John Cusack. Yeah, I, I think it did say it. Okay. So there's the part where he's busted up for this gal and one of his co-workers has come in to pay him a visit and he's rearranging his records and the guy's trying to figure out how he's rearranging it because it's not by artist, it's not chronological, you know, it's not by genre. And then finally, Cusack's character says, biographical. And so the whole time we've been talking, I've been trying to figure out what the fuck you're doing in terms of your order and now I realize you're also doing biographical by the life of James Bond. So now in the last book, I'm telling you about where I was 
born and who my mama was and how she died and all this kind of stuff. I'm finally understanding what the fuck you're doing and that helps a little bit. I've been saying so all along. I'm doing James Bond. You know, you're talking about the character in the movies is a competent individual. He's a, a born killer. Well, you want to get into that executioner stuff later. And this is a good place to bring that up just as, just as something that can be used. The guy in the movie is a solid military man. He's equally at home in a jungle situation as he is on a naval vessel. Okay. Just out of curiosity, it just occurred to me, have any of the Bond's actors served? Uh, Sean Connery did. Sean Connery? What, yeah. what, what was he in? Uh, he was some kind of commando. Okay. You know, the big thing about... So was he in Navy then? British Navy? No. It, it, uh, it's been so long. I, I read his biography 40 years ago. Okay. And I can I can recurse it, but so can you. Yeah. Uh, he, he was commando, and the thing was, is he did all of his own stunts. Mm-hmm. And the movies. They made a big deal out of that. Oh, yeah. You know, he was Tom Cruise before there was a Tom Cruise. Right. Long before there was a Tom Cruise. <laughs> because he were actually, it was a tough, mean son of a bitch. Yeah. He was a no-joke guy. Yeah. And he, uh, as far as you want to talk about that, you're talking about a man that, that was close to the age of a real James Bond. Uh-huh. Okay. Damn close. So, he lived a lot of that, that shit. In fact, it's almost surprising that him and Fleming did not meet mm-hmm. but not really because Fleming was intelligent and, and Connery was not intelligent see uh, I definitely remember from from the uh, sorry you keep talking about what do you do hold you know you're not supposed to hold it for days like that and then no it's all that fucking coffee man it's just like and now it's just coffee coming straight on my ass so it shouldn't take long <laughs> Didn't you hear? They said coffee and really don't do what they're supposed to. And my dick sphincter can hold piss, and my ass sphincter can hold poop, but asking my ass to hold in piss is problem. <laughs> okay, we'll get get back to Sean Connery. You're right, he was in the Navy, and he was part of an anti-aircraft uh, gun recruit, mm-hmm. which, by the way, anybody that don't know, that takes a lot of balls. Uh-huh. Those planes are coming straight at you yeah. a lot of times, especially when he was in, because it was like 1946, 1947, so he had to deal with, with, with aircraft coming directly at him and you know he I, I don't know if he was the gunner or if he was the belt feeder or whatever he was but he has to sit, sit there looking at these targets coming you know anti-aircraft guns people don't understand you know the Germans used anti-aircraft guns on small tanks that could take out our tanks yeah <laughs> A lot of people don't know that this, but there's a guy here in Texas that owns his own Sherman tank, and it's operable. <laughs> so, so uh, and I think they he lets guy people see it, or you know, you pay him. I can't remember exactly how it worked. I just know that James Garner they did a movie based tank, on back in the eighties. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, and it's loosely based on the guy. But it, yeah, uh, anyway, well, in the movie he goes on some kind of a rampage or something, doesn't he? Uh, in the movie, there's some kind of a rampage with the tank, if I recall correctly, isn't there? 
There's yeah, there's conflict. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, the but this guy he he bought it legally. Yeah. Right. Everything. And you're allowed to own a fully armed tank in Texas. You know, all you got to do is is make. Pro- so that's the thing. People don't understand. Even though you can have that stuff here without a class three, now there's a lot of places that you could. Vegas is one of them. Mm-hmm. Or Nevada in general, and uh, I think in Arizona too. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of. Well, it, we'll we'll get back to that. Connery has a lot. You can compare Connery in a way to Schwarzenegger. Okay, Schwarzenegger got into the movies by being a bodybuilder. Yeah. Okay. And Connery, you can't compare Schwarzenegger's military service, which I'm not even sure even exists. I don't think it exists now. Yeah. But Connery did do his. He. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember. There's something wrong with something weird, like ulcers or something. Okay. And they had to let him out. I'm sure staring down an airplane would give you some ulcers. That's a good chance of that. No, contrary to popular belief, I've known people have had ulcers. Yeah. Ulcers are caused by bacteria. Granted, anxiety can work on them, but, but you know, they they now cure them with antibiotics, but it took them a long time to figure out the right combination to kill the ulcers. <laughs> and, of course, if they gotten really bad, they may still have to take most of your stomach out. But I think it was something like that. Uh, and, of course, in the 40s, they, you know, because it helped. I don't think they discovered the cure to most ulcers till like, the late 80s or early 90s or something. But he met this guy who who was a, a commando trainer and helped him become bodybuilder because he wanted to be Mr. Unit. Mm-hmm. Or whichever I, competition he was in. Whatever the competition. It was yeah. one of the ones Schwarzenegger won. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, the trouble is, like, it's, it's, it's been at least 40 years ago yeah. since I've, I've studied it. Not that I'm aware of that, but of course, where bodybuilding was in the 50s is a big difference from where it was in the mid 70s. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. So was so, Scandine. You can even see that in the movies because the first movie came out, they were still using crap that they were using in the 50s. Mm-hmm. Some of the diving gear was taken from other things, including. Uh, Jet pilot things mm-hmm. to make it work. Yeah, you know it was it was it was. That's why the the show Sea Hunt was such a big deal. Uh, that was Lloyd Bridges. Lloyd Bridges. Yeah, you know he became kind of a Hollywood hierarchy with his son. Oh yeah, he got a whole dynastic thing going yeah. there. Yeah, but but in the fifties, it, it was all centered around that show Sea Hunt, and I think he really was a frogman or something. Mm. Skin diving was kind of late in the. 20th century. Yeah. Some of them guys would set mines and repair mines and stuff without any kind of... that. They were used snorkels, man. Right. My mother, your grandmother, she dated the guy that was one of the original... What later, he was a UDT and later it became the UDT Seals. Uh-huh. But that's what he did was disarm mines. Yeah. And you know, I asked him about seeing one. But he said, we didn't have that. I had a snorkel and sometimes a hug. <laughs> and of course he wasn't his job wasn't fighting the enemy his job was de- deactivating that was what how the UDTs got started mm-hmm. not that it was any less dangerous oh, sure sure yeah yes the bullets aren't necessarily going to get you but the buying damn well could yeah and you're, you know you go down I remember because I was a kid when he told me shit. I was a teenager he, 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 he told me yeah most of the mines are about the size of a man mm-hmm. in the movies they they, they show them all as the same 
thing, but they weren't the same thing. They didn't all look like a contact mine. Right. There were some of them that were magnetic, and the magnetic ones are kind of scary ones. They're they're actually the ones that are pretty close to the surface, mm-hmm. and when the ship's coming, the magnetic field is a super magnetism. Yeah. It it starts racing across the water towards the ship. <laughs> mine sweepers were made out of wood. So mm-hmm. were PT boats. Yeah. PT boats were made out of plywood. Mm-hmm. So anybody don't want to. And, 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 uh, some when I was in Vietnam, some of the river boats were made out of wood. Mm-hmm. They had to be because of mines. Yeah. You know. But there were metal ones too because I, I I saw they were aluminum though. Yeah. Because aluminum's not magnetic. Yeah. But you can imagine being in a PT boat going after a frigate or a destroyer or a submarine in a plywood boat with a couple of torpedoes strapped to it. <laughs> Don't tell me about men. I know about them. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, we got off on Connery. Yeah. Uh, but I think I, I, I said what I knew uh, but I, I remember it was a big deal him doing his own stunts in the movies. Yeah, uh, he was the only one that was a real deal, you know, where mo- everybody else was play acting. Yeah, but it, it makes sense. To, it, and, and of course, they don't want Tom doing oh, his no. any of them. Oh. You know, a bunch of them do their own shit now. Even some of the women, you know, to at least to some extent. Some of the green screen stuff is not, you know, they may be only swinging three feet off the ground, mm-hmm. but let's face it, it can cost somebody a lot of money if they can't finish that film oh, yeah. to nurse something. Yeah. So I mean, I, I think there's a cachet of what Tom Cruise does, but the insurers don't like it, especially as old as Tom has gotten now. It'd be easy for him to miss that ledge and, and then no more Tom Cruise and no more movies. So they don't care that. <laughs> the man is stupid, but I will give him the, he's, there's a lot about Tom Cruise I don't like. Yeah. And most of the stuff he does in the movies, I do like. Yeah. I can't help it. Yeah. You know, you know I'm not sure how I felt about Michael Jackson. Uh, I know that there's people that I like that have claimed that a lot of it was bull. Mm-hmm. But it hasn't stopped me. It, I didn't take his music out of my playlist. I can tell you that. Yeah. Tom Cruise, I'm sure I don't want to know on a personal level, but there's been enough. I mean, you know, the man actually owns his own A4. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Any man that can fly an A4 is worth watching pretending to fly an F-18 or F-14. Mm-hmm. Because the A4, when he did Top Gun, the A4 is what the instructor used against the 14. The 14 is supersonic. The A4 is subsonic. The 14 can do things the A4 cannot, never could do. And the A4, I mean the, the uh, F-14 and F-18 can do almost everything the A4 can do, which is why it's so amazing. But here's where an A4, that's why they were still being used into the 90s by other countries. The A4 is a delta wing design. That means there's almost nothing that can outmaneuver it. Okay? With jets, jets have a much higher stall speed. Uh, you know, in other words, jets don't fly real good at low speed. But an A4 can slow down and fly side by side 
side with a Ted Jenny. Mm-hmm. He may have to goose it every once in a while, but he can do it, mm-hmm. you know, because it's a delta wing. He's got a lot more wing to help him stay aloft, mm-hmm. okay, which made the A-4 an ex- exceptional aircraft to go after things in the jump, the dropping bombs, shooting, all that stuff, because the A-4 goes back to the 50s. The French used delta wings much longer than we did. The A-4 is a delta wing, and you could, you could definitely snap something in your body if you went to maneuver that thing at full power. I think they're capable of like 680 miles an hour. I mean, right there at the speed of sound. You just don't want to cross that because plane can come apart. But <laughs> it, it, it's got too much surface area to do that. Yeah. But it, it, it's an amazing aircraft, and he owns one. I'll be honest with you. He owns the one that I would like to have myself mm-hmm. if I could afford it. I, and believe me, I have thought about it. But there's just no way. Yeah, I have often thought it would be really cool to, because his is double. They didn't make that many of them. The doubles were made for training. And also to use as photograph intelligence, that kind of stuff. But there weren't very many of them made. And he's got one. He even painted it the navy color. If I had it, I'd put the yellow on it like the Blue Angels had too. <laughs> Because when I was a kid, that's what the Blue Angels put. I know, I used to watch them in Corpus Christi practice all the time. We moved there from there when I was nine, but we were there from the time I, I well, we were only there two years. I, I did first grade in San Antonio, and then I did second and third grade in Corpus Christi. Every afternoon, they would be out there doing their thing. My house was, I don't know, two blocks from the bay, so that made my school five blocks from the bay. And they'd be out there doing their things. I didn't have to go to no damn air show. <laughs> anyway, you want to do another bond? Well, hold on. Okay, so are you done with the book stuff then? Because you, you have this whole list of things like Little Let Die, and you know you had a bunch of different movies on there. And you know, is that, if you don't have anything you want to talk about with regard to the books, it's all about the book. Yeah, it's still about James Bond. It's not about the books. It's not about the movies. It's about James Bond. Okay. Well. What's the big deal of case? What does Doctor Know the book about? I don't even know. I have to check and see what. <laughs> okay, so I don't know what you have to say about. You gave me a I, list. You gave me a list of like seven. That's of, right. Of, and, and so we. And we, I've got it down as the fifth show. So you're gonna do an entire episode just on the book version of Doctor No. Is that the plan? We're doing just. We just did two books. Okay. Okay. The, the third one I've got marked here: Live and Let Die, Show Three. Okay. Isn't that one you mentioned? That's one where I actually watched the movie. All right, so let's see if that did you any good. So you want to do Russia of Love? Yeah, let's try running through that and, okay. and then we can talk about the evening. Russia, from Russia of Love was book five, done in 1957. The movie was done in 1963 and it was Sean Connery. Second movie, as I recall. Well, it would have to be. <laughs> I probably have that somewhere in the okay. notes. It begins in the book. Mm-hmm. It begins June of 1954 and Bond doesn't enter into the book until August 
August 12th, mine's 35 in that book. The basic book story is used in the movie, though it's secondary as a story in a story, as well as names, personalities, and locations. This is one I've been saying. This is also the one where he has to buy a new car. Like I said, the, the book was written in 57, but the story takes place in 54. He had a 1930 Bentley, so now his, his new car in the film he enters after his car a 1954 Bentley Mark 6 Cabaret which was another you know the cars back then they make the same model for years and years the 54 looks exactly like the 53 it's three years after Moonraker Bond is 40 Bond it's also you find out in this book that he was born in 1919 which is something nobody ever thinks of not in all the Bond movies and you think about it if he was born in 1919 in the film how old would he have been when they started right see as I said this Bond is human he'd have been just a few years from retirement if the movies had the same timeline well you see that's the other thing Bond from time to time falls in love mm -hmm. but it, it ain't always him that does the dumping yeah. <laughs> right here as I said in this Bond is human and Tiffany Case and I've, I've got a note here Diamonds Are Forever fourth book has dumped him and he misses her. See? Mm -hmm. So, and I knew, if, if that's where, where I was thinking when, when I was saying diamonds are forever. Mm -hmm. I, I was trying to make the connection in my head because I remembered there was connection and I was probably wrong about the actress. Mm -hmm. But but this is why. Well, and if he was shacked up with Tiffany Case, I could see that the puns got started in the books. Well, and she was different personality in the books. Mm -hmm. it's, the, the situation from the movies is different than the situation situation in the books. Even when the movies roughly sketch the book, it, 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 it gets all different, mm. you know? And I've made the notation here. You notice how in the Bond movies they're always talking about Spectre, mm -hmm. and sometimes that's the deep, dark enemy that they're fighting against. That's something the movies came out with. And from Russia with Love you learn, and you see in the film, you see it. They changed the name. Think about what from Russia what love was about. Mm -hmm. Okay, you said you were going to spoil it anyway as far as the movie went. So let's spoil a little bit of the movie. Okay. It, it, he, it's about this good-looking Russian girl and he's hooked up and he's supposed to be getting the cipher machine, okay? Which, of course, since there really were German cipher machines, but he's being set up by the Russian and, and by a Russian that, that is really a member of Spectre. Do you know what Spectre is in the novels? Smirk. No. No? It's, it's the cipher machine itself. Oh, yeah. It's the only time in the novels you ever hear Spectre being talked about. Okay. <laughs> when, I, when I realized that, I was reading, man, I just broke out when I was reading the book. And I go, you gotta be kidding me. Mm -hmm. They turned a cipher machine into an enemy that may not get a lot of their people from Smirch. See, Smirch really did exist. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, people that's why he uses this it, and it's not the only Smears is mentioned in a bunch of things I think I even read it me and mentioned in a Dick Tracy book one time because it really did exist it was something that existed even after the KGB was you know 
know, but yeah. eventually it became KGB. And then, but it's not like it disappeared. Uh, but it's true. Most Americans would have never known that. I don't, I don't know about Brits or whatever. Americans are ignorant of a lot of things that's common knowledge elsewhere. Even when I when I was in school, and I know it hadn't changed much, we take geography, and almost nobody thought that geography or history had any, any place. There's even, there was even things people, and now they really want to do it, get rid of those subjects in school because they don't see them as relevant. Yeah. And of course it's relevant. You know, I've had friends that were Brits that came over here from both England and Ireland. They know a hell of a lot more about the planet and the political situation on the planet. But I think maybe that's because they have to live with it and Americans really don't. Yeah. Americans can say, yeah, that's over there. Right. But as we've discovered, it, it can find its way over here and you take you by surprise. Mm-hmm. But no, they, they just, and it's always been that way. Yeah, it's funny that, that I always found those subjects, even when I was a kid, because I wasn't a great student. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I figured, why should I learn something I didn't want to learn? I like literature. I like history. I like geography. And I like science, as long as it didn't interfere with me too much. And when I liked the teacher and I liked what they were teaching, I did pretty well with the rest of it. And I never did my homework for any damn thing. Yeah, I was, I was not good about doing my homework. I, well, you have to. My, I, I had a working man's mentality where it's like, okay, you want me to do stuff on your clock? That's okay. I get that. But when I clock out of the school, don't fuck with me. That's my time. So I, I was terrible about homework, too. Yeah. And, of course, there was times when most of your grade came from homework. Mm. The only reason why I didn't do worse is because I, I did well on the test. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It's, it's kind of hard for a teacher to make an argument you're supposed to fail when you pass the damn test. Right, yeah. And, and I didn't, and we're not talking about all the, all that many low grades, although I did, there was some test work. I just barely got by. But a lot of times I come close to acing those tests, and I never did any damn homework. Yeah. Sometimes when they were there, I, I didn't do any studying either. I, I just heard everything in class, and when I, when I read it on the page, uh, sometimes, you know, a lot of the tests in my day, I don't, I don't know what they did later on, were multiple choice. And so I would just read the three, and I'd remember enough of it. Oh, well, that's got to be that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm a vague sense of what happened in this particular point in history. It must be this for probably. Definitely in these other two. Yeah, and then for me, like English in particular, it was like, I, I read. I read all the damn time. So you test about things like grammar and spelling. It's like, okay, well, I'm not going to study for this. I, I, I know this because I read all the time. Blah, 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 blah. And they knew that. That was always, you know, I always got on really good with the English teachers. Uh, it was math that I would struggle with because you did have to actually practice math. And again, I didn't want to ever do my homework. So. Yeah, I, I, I just, I was good at different things. I was loud, lousy, you know. I got it. At least I think I got it. It just didn't make any bloody sense to me. I was good at calculus. Now, you, I suck at algebra, but I'm good at calculus. Mm-hmm. And geometry wasn't a problem because I could see it. A lot of people can't see it. I can actually see it, which has always worked in my favor for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But a lot of formulas for geometry... 
I just didn't see any point. I tell them point blank. They would give me a formula and I would draw it on paper. And they go, how can you do that and not work the formula? I said, because that makes sense and that formula doesn't. So you go figure it out. I, I, I would, why should I bother if I can see it? It just mm-hmm. didn't make any sense to me. Made me a pretty good pilot too. Mm-hmm. So it makes me a good driver, period. When you're piloting a vehicle of any kind, you're dealing with geometry. Yeah. It's about geometry. I mean, it's about physics too. Right. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> anyway, I don't know, but I, I found it interesting that, that when I when I read that, it was just one of the most interesting parts of the, the whole examination of who he was. Mm-hmm. And I, I, the reason why I wanted to cover it was those three points. His new car, he was still driving that car in the last book that Fleming wrote. The guy in the movies, everything's disposable to him. Everything's disposable to him. Mm-hmm. The real James Bond is a real guy, and those things are important to it. It's just like his weapons, you know? But people think they understand guns, and there's so much damn hype. There's hype with everything. There's hype in electronics. That's the most noticeable things nowadays, especially this time of year. Everybody wants the latest, greatest, and they don't even know if it's any better, but they want to be able to say, man, I got the new one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look what color it is. And look, they they put the new camera on the end of my tally whacker. <laughs> Woohoo, I'm getting more legs now. People are like that about everything. But I really, guns are always talked about in the news. They're always talked about in Bond films. And I agree with the real James Bond. Yeah, you know what he used when they, you know, in the, in the they do it in one of the movies where the takeaway is, is Beretta. Mm-hmm. He had a Beretta 25. Basically, that's a centerfire 22. Mm-hmm. If you read up on those guns, they're great guns. They're cool collector items now. And there's not even that many companies that make a quality. Beretta still makes a quality 25. But they were called women's guns. I think Fleming was making a point. I'm not sure exactly what that point was. But I know that 25s for a long time were considered, in the U.S., were considered Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. I mean, Saturday Night Special for women's guns. Mm-hmm. Some of the later... There was like varmint guns and stuff that came out. Some of them used 25 caliber, and then some of them used, you know, there's all kinds of calibers out there that people wouldn't understand, like the 218B. But there's a bunch of 22s that nobody ever calls 22. But basically, the 25 is a 22 center fire cartridge, which means if there is a 22 you can hunt with legally. <laughs> You don't need a big caliber to kill something or to drop them fast. Using a big caliber does not necessarily mean you're going to come out on top. And it might be a hindrance. I personally love the 45 caliber. I don't have many of them anymore, but they're a good all-around round. Mm-hmm. And the reason for their development was, you know, the military used 38. They used 32s and then they used 38. And and we kept getting mixed up in these wars where they weren't penetrating. And a lot of people don't know this, but a 38 and a 9mm is 
same thing. It's, it's there. The only difference is how they come packaged, basically. But when I'm making rounds for either one of them, okay, our bullet mold for the 38 is the bullet mold for the 9mm because they are basically the same thing. And that mold makes a better 38 because the 9mm is mostly, mostly an automatic round. And the 38 is generally more for manual weapons. People used to buy 38. The M1 that, that they used in Korea and some in Vietnam is a 30 caliber. It's basically a, a 38 rifle. Uh, or what they call 38 special. You compare it to, to know what you're shooting. In the case of 45, it does have a hard pump. It's just like there's a caliber called 45 skull fill. Now, if you were using something like a, a Colt Python or any of the handguns that would handle 45 long Colt. See, nowadays with today's powders and everything, you could call legitimately, of course they don't do it, <laughs> but you could legitimately call the long Colt uh, 45 magnets. That's the other thing people don't get. The auto load 45 is the same size as a 45 skull fit. And you have your choice nowadays to buy the skull filled either in a black powder version, like for cowboy shooting, or in a modern version, which make it the same as the 45 auto. Well, you could fire those in the same guns that you, you fired the long coat. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it would. I don't know about the uh, lever action, but I know I've done it with others that were, you would have less recoil and the same stopping power. It's just like 32s, a 32 H&R Mag, which H&R stands for Harrington Richard, but it's a Remington Low. The H&R 32 H&R Mag has the same punching power as a 38 with a whole lot less recoil. Anyway, I could see why James Bond would want to hang on to his 45. And if I remember, I have the notes. But and I'm, I'm jumping because we're not on that story. They make him take a Walter PPK. And I don't think it was, it was bad. I think it was the 380. And what they used to call, you know, a 380, I guess you would call it a 9mm short. But but what they used to call it was a, because it was an invention of Browning. They called it the Browning 9mm. Now everybody calls it 380. But it's, it's a 9mm slug, maybe a little bit lighter. Uh, and it has a lighter charge to it. And it's got some pretty good power. But I'm not sure it's all that much better than a 25. Of course, in a Walter, a Walter's heavy, heavier gun, but you're still, and you're still talking about a compact pistol. But I, I'm not sure as far as stopping power and all that stuff, it would be all that much better. But later on, you know, in the movies, he's generally carrying a 9mm. And I think in the movies, they left the 380 part out and he's carrying the 9mm. Those are important points. I mean, it, it goes to both the character of the man, because I think things like that do... I, I I have big caliber. I have guns that will shoot accurately 600 yards easy enough, but I don't rely on them. But to me, they're toys. I'm not going to go hunting with one of them, because I'll probably blow my foot off. <laughs> you know? But, you know, I've got guns for different uses, and uh, I've got guns that people would say were definitely sniper rifles. They're match grade and like uh, I got one 6.5 Cremoy more and I got another one that's uh, 22250 and I guarantee you either one of them would be a pretty good sniper rifle.
Right. Now, 22-250, probably wouldn't, I wouldn't trust it past 400 yards. But on that thread, I've got, I've got a special barrel on it. But first off, it's, it's really a long barrel. Both of them, uh, all my, my guns have long barrels that I both target. And they, those are for target guns only. They're long, heavy barrels. But I could definitely put a, a man, I don't know what's going on with my head. Um, man, you just asked me that question earlier. Suppressor? Yeah, suppressor. I could I the twenty two two fifty or or you know all the popular smaller AR uh, like the five five six. I could use a twenty two suppressor on it, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the threat is not. It's, it's it's a matter of whether the bullet will go through it. And if you you get the right suppressor, yeah. So I don't want to mention brand name. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about it, you you have to. It's not like guns where you can generalize but the one I like you can put on anything and it could be a rifle pistol whatever and it's made out of titanium so nothing's going to happen mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you can blow it till it was glowing and then throw it in a bucket of cold water <laughs> As long as there's nothing flammable in it, it ain't going to hurt it. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to warp, and you're going to be able to screw it right back on. So, and it will work. You know, 22-250, I don't know if I've ever... I know there's been times when I showed you the difference by showing you shell differences. One of these days, we're going to get in. I'm going to get you out there with suppressors so I can mm-hmm. show you the difference. But it's not like TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, a 9mm is not going to sound like the one on TV mm-hmm. but you a suppressor will make a 22 sound like like a red driver BB gun it's just just like you hear on a lot of TV crap. It almost doesn't matter how big the load is, you know, but with suppressors, it will matter whether they can go, because you're dealing with different pressures when you're talking rifle and pistol, just like magnums in them. and of course then when you go into full autos most of your suppressors uh silencer suppressor whatever you want to call it they're not going to work on full auto i mean maybe for first poop you pops mm-hmm. but 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 then there's going to be issues because of the the heat generated by auto fire also you you know that's why they make the one i'm talking about out of titanium mm-hmm. i mean you things start warping uh like you see on on the movies if you're firing that many rounds you, you better have a in other words your suppressor is going to cost you more than your gun sometimes yeah so you got you got to know what will work and what won't work this is the movie where the one q device is in it yeah. for rush with love yeah okay, okay. as you said it was the sixth and it, well since it's in the movie mm-hmm. and another movie they didn't use it in this movie, but yeah. they did use it in another movie. I'm just going to go ahead and say what it was. I, I'm going to take your word for it that it's not really a uh, spoiler. It was the briefcase that... Uh, the one that had the gold coins in it? And, and the yeah. knives. Yeah. You know, uh, basically, a, other than that knife that would come out of it, it was a false bottom yeah. briefcase. Well, that's as technical as Q ever got with anything. Mm-hmm. That, that's the closest... In all the books I read, mm-hmm. that Q got to something sci-fi. Uh, it's probably it, one of the it, least fantastical things. Well, then it wouldn't. In the movies, even in the fifties, that wouldn't have been a fantastical thing. Yeah. If you 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 see uh, 
all kinds of 50s TV shows where they use false bottom stuff. I mean, I can remember stuff in the 50s, things like, like a knife in the toe. They, Bond didn't invent that crap. The, the uh, what was that I show? It was saw, and it was Bond movies because none of that's in the book. I think it was something like the Hawaiian Eye or, or, uh, uh, now I can't even think of those, all those detective shows in the late 50s. Some of them, they're showing on TV again. But some of them I've got on DVD. It'll come to me. Almost all of them. You know, pri uh, anything that was private detective oriented was kind of popular in the late 50s and the early 60s. But some of those guys had blades in the toe of their shoes. It was almost uh, it was almost always pointy shoes. <laughs> you, you didn't see penny loafers were popular. Or you didn't see him popping them out of pillow. And it was always some guy that had like a black jacket or something. Mm -hmm. You know, knives up the sleeve, knives strapped to your your to your leg, uh, or or in the collar. You know, there's 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 a, there's a, a movie. I think it's a John Wayne movie uh, where he pulls the knife out of his collar and. It, if you're looking, if you're paying attention, you gotta ask yourself how the hell he got that knife. Because he's a little guy. He's got a little collar and knife. <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing. You never hear in the movies. How often do you see Bond use a knife? Mm, yeah. Anyway, that's that's the last movie for today. I'm I'm really tired and I'm starting to get I'm starting to get uh, kind of screwy. I was gonna have you do the mail. No, man. <laughs> no. 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 You need you 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 need to produce that stuff. That's <laughs> <laughs> maybe uh, if you don't want to read it anymore, maybe I'll do an automated one so it can be more like uh, Mission Impossible, you know? Like yeah, maybe take clips from when I did it before and put them all together. <laughs> the screw ups are sounding better. Well, the sound audio quality on this show has always sucked, so that's that, it'd probably be all over the place. But I'll, I'll go ahead and read it. So, anime freaks, anime nostalgia, canoes who added thanks to old spine. I know this one is going to be great. Uh, Chris, Chris. Lydon. I think that's Chris at Bad Books for Beginners and then Chris Lydon. Chronosphere Fiction, Coffee and Comics, Dario Oliveira, uh, El Romero Romero, Gregory Litchfield, The Hammer Strikes, Random Geeky Stuff, History of Comics on Film, Into the Weird, I Was Joe Is, Jacques Ives Cousteau, Jerry McMullen, King Dinosaur, Cristados, Longbox Crusade, Low Quality Facts, Lucretia, Office Barista, Relatively Geeky Podcast Network, Schlocktopus, Steve Sellers, and Warlock and Thanos podcast. You see, it's grown since the last time. <laughs> I recognize ones you made me read before, and it's bigger. Okay. And harder to do. Secret! The preceding program is intended for the common good at no expense to any citizen. It should therefore be considered to possess a license to thrill in service to fair use, and not seen as a hostile act against copyright owners in the international marketplace.
As always, should any of our agents be compromised regardless, we will disavow any knowledge of their activities. This transmission will self-destruct in 5 seconds.